0: Where I'm from, they just say, my, my, my. (laughs) May we TED talking today? Good night. After something like that, you want to just go ahead and just preach. So, um, (laughs) he got the time on me today, y'all. Y'all got to watch him. Well, my minority brothers, um, man, welcome. Welcome to one of the, maybe the rarest opportunity you have in your life Uh, To not have to wonder whether you are known, whether you are loved, whether you are accepted. I'm telling you, it's rare. To my white brothers, I know already you feel welcome. Because being among minorities, see minorities know how to love that which is a minority. Because they understand. And so I'm glad that you're here. Glad that you're here celebrating with us. Let me give you a little bit of my story. As I was answering the call to plant uh, in 2006, frankly, I was clueless about what that really meant. You see, I didn't come from a church planting culture, nor did I come from a church planting church. I was on staff at a uh, predominantly black independent Baptist church, and I was the pastor of men as well as pastor of counseling. I just knew God had called me to plant a church. Me and my family headed down south. We went to Charlotte, North Carolina. But prior to going to Charlotte, I was assessed by the Southern Baptist Convention because I assumed that the Southern Baptists understood how to plant churches, how to start churches, from my vernacular, in the south. And so I was assessed. I went to a boot camp. And quickly within that boot camp, I realized that this wasn't for me. I just did not fit in. At the same time, by God's divine providence, I found out about Acts 29. So out of curiosity, I attended a conference in Seattle, Washington. Some of y'all may have been there. It was called Resurgence. When I, get, when I got there, I walked in the door. I didn't see anything that looked like me. Matter of fact, I was blinded by the plaid and I didn't understand how they got their hair straight up in the air. But nonetheless, I was there, and I continued to hear this resounding message that stirred my heart and grabbed my attention. It was a genuine and authentic message that was shouting loud. And guess what that message was? The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. The gospel. And I said, why do you keep talking about the gospel so much? I mean, we got saved already. You know, you're talking to a group of Christians. But he kept talking about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And then in 2006, I didn't know anything about Matt Chandler. I didn't know who Matt Chandler was. I didn't know who Mark Driscoll was. I didn't know who Bruce Ware was. I didn't even know who John Piper was. All I knew was that I liked what I heard, and I longed for God to do more in my heart. It was different, and it was resonating within my soul, You see, I didn't have to feel comfortable at a conference to know that I needed what I heard. You see, social comfort couldn't trump gospel clarity. You see, being a minority in an all-white crowd wasn't new for me, just like it's not new for many of you all. I grew up in Maryland, in a Maryland suburb um, outside of the District of Columbia. I attended a diverse uh, school system. I found my way uh, to a predominantly white campus called the University of Maryland. Uh, By God's grace, um, I survived the corporate world. I survived institutional and corporate racism and got my graduate degrees from predominantly white institutions. You see, thriving as a black man among majority culture is what minorities do, Amen. right? We, we have to. We, 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 we can't cower at the reality that we are the minority. We forego comfort to get what we think we need. However, as I joined the network in 2007, it became evident to me uh, that I was black in the midst of a white network, um, As I entered events, I saw a few that looked like me on the stage. I just figured that they were special. I just figured that, that, that there was something about them that gave them acceptable status. I saw sprinklings of myself in the crowd, and as I would see them, I would point them out, and I would introduce myself deliberately to let them know that they were welcome to be here, and I was just new in the network myself. But over time, I realized that there was a subtle expectation in the network that I and others for for our own survival needed to assimilate into a culture that didn't know us and frankly didn't want to know us. But that didn't matter because I appreciated the message of the gospel and I loved Jesus with all my heart. However, something changed in 2013, and, and Pastor Doug alluded to it. When Matt invited me and other couple uh, ethnic minorities, and we weren't nothing special, it was just the fact that we were there in Long Beach at the time. He, including Pastor Doug, he, he invited us into this conference room in Newport Beach to talk about diversity. And listen to me, for the first time, my minority status was noticed and valued. First time. I have been in the year I've been in the network six years prior to that. In this meeting, we dialogued, we gave suggestions, and then we prayed over Matt. Matter of fact, Leon's Crump even began speaking in tongues. You remember that, Doug? He's not here. Blew me away. I mean, what in the world is going on here? Uh, since then, as a network, we have made significant strides in seeking to embrace all who are present, valuing diversity, and have consequently created some seats at the table in order for us to continue to figure out how this thing moves forward. Although some would say that the network is not moving fast enough, uh, I would beg to differ. I would believe that we are five years in of understanding this idea of diversity. Listen to me, this minority summit is the beginning of something significant and historical in our network and as well in, in our country. Now, notice it's taking place in the capital of the Confederate. So, the question often arises what kept me in Acts 29. I've been in the Acts 29 for 12 years. Was it the, the fact that we had increased percentages of minorities, uh, black planters joining the network? And I would say no. Uh, was it my role on the board? No. Was it my seat at the table or the seat at the table that other African-Americans had? I would say no. Was it my needs as a planter being met? No. It was the consistent message that I heard in 2006 a commitment not only to proclaim the gospel, but to seek to live the gospel out. Now, I'll be the first one to say, is Acts 29 uh, network uh, understanding everything about me or other minority groups? No, I, I would say no. I would say we are learning. But, but, but it is a diverse network of men seeking to proclaim and make known the gospel of Jesus Christ that unites all races and ethnicities as a new humanity. And frankly, I just want to be around that. 51 years old, I want to hang around that. I want to be around young planters. I want to be around those who are preaching the gospel. I want to be around those who are living the gospel, who graciously wrestle with what it means to create a common future. I want to be a part of a diverse and global disciple-making movement who is committed to planting truly gospel-centered churches while wrestling with the reality and the messiness of what it looks like to be family. See, it's a mess. And it's going to get messy. And it's going to get messier. But it's worth the mess. See, I want to be a part of a network that's not just committed to one race but this new humanity that Jesus longs for in Ephesians chapter 2. So how do we get there? I believe it's understanding that the Great Commission facilitates this creation of this common future. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. When we think of the Great Commission, we know that we are commanded to make disciples of all nations. We know that, right? Right? Jesus' authority commands that we make disciples, right? All authority has been given to me under heaven and earth, right? Go thee, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus has invited us into, as minorities, this idea of disciple-making. And how do we do it? We, We go. How do we do it? We baptize. And how do we do it? We teach. But here's the catcher. We do it together. The assumption of Matthew 28 is not that we do it in homogeneity. The assumption of Matthew 28 is that we do it as a new humanity. You see, God is not calling just us minorities to be faithful to the Great Commission. God is calling our entire network to be faithful to the Great Commission and to do the Great Commission together as a new humanity, right? As an expression of the glory and majesty of God. You see, like a Baptist preacher, I got three things I want to tell you, and then I'm going to take my seat on this TED Talk, this bougie TED Talk. (laughs) First thing is going together creates a common future that shows off the glory of God. Going together creates a common future that shows off the glory of God. Listen to me. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, which includes us, and he is in, anticipating those who belong to him will go together with no distinction of color or ethnicity. That's the assumption. The command is make disciples. And, and as we'll see, this commitment to help all races and ethnicities becomes to, to become followers of Jesus is what Jesus desires, And so he says, go. This idea of go is move from one place to another and engage together. Jesus says, don't stay still. Don't stay comfortable. Don't stay isolated. Don't stay stagnant. Don't stay stationary. Position yourself with other new humanity folks in order to be able to help make more followers of me. You see, we are commanded by Jesus to go and to play our part together in watching Jesus redeem all of humanity. This means that his church of multiple ethnicities go together to reach lost people. Together, we physically go and move towards those not yet disciples. I love the Greek in this. This idea of go is to engage, to move from where I am uh, to where they are and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. That's what I see in Acts 29. I see that going. I see that movement. I see this multicolored ethnic going to diverse communities and hard places to make disciples. I see it. And I've seen it for the last 12 years. You see, in the past, we have been a network committed to reaching middle-class whites or trying to reach ethnic minorities and then assimilate and colonize them into white culture and a white Christian framework. But making disciples is appreciating the uniqueness of the Imago day and the ethnocentrism of the gospel to genuinely reach those who are lost. So so, so how do we create this common future? We go together as a new humanity. Second thing we see is baptizing redeemed people together creates a common future that shows off the glory of God. Baptizing redeemed people together creates a common future that shows off the glory of God. Jesus says part of making disciples is baptizing new believers. I love that. You see, we are part of a diverse global family of churches who plant churches, and check this out, and every single week there is a common future being created, as African-Americans and as, as Hispanic and Latinos and Asians and Filipinos and Caribbean men in America come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is being created every single week that we meet. And that's good news and something we should be celebrated. In our network, every week new believers are coming to Christ. And we get to celebrate not only one type of person, or one homogeneous redemptive story, but we have the privilege of hearing this multifaceted story of God reaching a diverse group of people. So here's the good news. When Lorenzo baptizes people in his church and Sergio baptizes people in his church and, and and Sean baptizes people in his church, what happens is that process of making disciples creates this common future that we get to enjoy. You see, as an ethnic minority, I want to share the gospel and I want to baptize all people. All people. But in order to do this, guess what has to happen? I must deal with my own biases. I must deal with my own prejudices. I must deal with my own frustrations, including this current Trump effect. Because that man had got on my nerves already, right? I have to deal with that. I have to deal with the foolishness that I see on Facebook. I have to deal with the foolishness that I see on Twitter. I have to deal with the foolishness that's impacting my heart on the blogosphere, right? I have to fight the temptation of creating a homogeneous gospel of interest that simply says, I'm going to reach my people. I don't care about nobody else. I'm going to find my people and I'm going to reach them. No, that's not the gospel. Jesus says, baptize all people, not just the ones that look like you. He says, make disciples by going and baptizing, but check out the people he's referring to. Jesus says, all nations. He doesn't speak of us reaching a homogeneous tribe or class or race of people. He says, make disciples of all nations, all people of the world other than the Hebrews. Make disciples of all nations by going and baptizing. You see, what we are a part of is this bringing about of this redemptive diversity to fruition for the glory of God. Every time you preach, every time you share the gospel in your context and someone becomes a believer, man, this common future is being created and the numbers are growing and God is being glorified. So how do we do it? We do it by going together as a new humanity. And secondly, we do it by baptizing together as a new humanity. But the third thing we see in the Great Commission is teaching the gospel together creates a common future that shows off the glory of God, right? Teaching the gospel. Together creates a common future that shows off the glory of God. Listen to me. As a part of Acts 29, we have all agreed to teach a common orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? If we we didn't, we wouldn't be in the network, right? Um, What are we to teach people? The Bible tells us clearly, all that God has commanded all that God has commanded, not just not just preference. All that God has commanded, yes, sir. Yes, sir. right? Not not, not not things that just 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 feed us and 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 make us. No, no. All that God has commanded, we are to teach with a biblical and a Christocentric hermeneutic in mind. All scripture is to be taught, the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, verse 27, Paul said, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You see, all of scripture, look, look, like I know what, what, what the folk didn't do back in the early days. They didn't preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, but, but God calls us to preach the whole counsel of God, right? All of scripture ought to be taught and preached. See, in order to create a common future, we must teach our people truth and humbly encourage our majority culture to do the same. That's right. wow. Why is teaching important? Well, this, this scripture is the only means by which our hearts can be transformed. The Scripture is the only way that we can become like Christ. The Scripture, through the power of the Spirit, is the only thing that can cut away that fallow ground that causes us to think that we're superior than other people. And the collective commitment to that diversity of this new humanity creates this common future. So what am I trying to tell you, my brothers? Let's make disciples, man. Let's make disciples and let's do that thing together. How do we do it? We do it by going. We do it by baptizing and we do it by teaching. And guess what? He says, "Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. May God bring glory to himself through us as we bring the gospel to bear in the hearts of people.